0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Roanoke Park, California and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Roanoke Park area. Good morning everyone and welcome to our service of Berean Baptist Church. Let's open our Bibles to the Old Testament book of Exodus if you would please. In these past few weeks, I have given quite a deal of thought to the subject that I want to preach today for Mother's Day. Now, obviously, I do want to say something about mothers, and usually I take this opportunity to speak to all the ladies in the church, not just those who are mothers. Women have important work in the life and ministry of the church. I think none of us disputes the supreme importance of godly mothers and other ladies who serve the church in selfless ways. But despite that high value that's placed on women who all are created in the image of God, there are some who believe that the Bible is generally misogynistic. Now, the Apostle Paul has long dealt, uh, has been accused of this, I should say, a charge made by feminists who believe that his teachings on the proper roles of men and women in the church are discriminatory against women, especially since Paul made no allowances for women to be ordained as pastors and deacons, as officers of the church. Well, today's culture simply will not stand for that. They are against it. And so we find in many of the major denominations today that the Bible's position on women in the church is detested and declared to be wrong. But we're sure that the Bible is not against women. The Bible is for both men and women in their proper places, according to the divine order of the creation in which God made the roles of men and women clear from the very beginning. In the beginning, it was the family order that taught us what the order of the church would be. So we're sure of the Bible's respect for women, its commitment to women, in their proper places, in the home and in the church and in society. And the Bible's principle of order is not to subjugate women under the power of men and make women inferior to men, but to make the whole society function as God intended. We're sure of the support for women because we see it codified in the book of human conduct, which is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are the rule for all people, for all time, because they reflect the righteous character of God. God never makes mistakes. God never misunderstands the human condition. God always knows what is right. And this book is the Bible, God's word. It is the righteous standard for all people, for all time. Now, in the 12th verse of Exodus chapter 20, the Lord spoke, this command. This is the fifth commandment. And we studied this several years ago, and I thought that what we would do is to revisit this subject this morning of the importance of the Bible's fifth commandment. It says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. This commandment is repeated in Deuteronomy 5.16 to remind Israel about family as they were getting ready to enter the promised land. And there Moses wrote, Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee that thy days may be prolonged and that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The Apostle Paul quoted this command in Ephesians 6 verse 2 and he added that this commandment is the first that comes with a promise. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long on the earth. The promise for obedience to this command is a good, long life. And interestingly, both Matthew and Mark recorded Jesus' quotation of this same commandment, and instead of attaching the positive promise to it, the Lord substituted a negative injunction for disobeying it. In Matthew fifteen four, for God commanded, saying, honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. In Mark 7, 10, the Lord said, for Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. Now, each of the Ten Commandments are understood this way. There's Always a blessing for obedience and there is always a negative consequence or many negative consequences for disobedience. The repetition of this fifth commandment by the prophets, by the apostles, by the Lord Himself increases the imperative nature of this command. It's seen throughout the scriptures. It's, it's, it's a very important point, a focal point of scripture, and even in the Ten Commandments. The command is strategic for the accomplishment of God's work with humanity. By way of further introduction, the fifth commandment is strategic because it stands at the head of the second table of the law. Now hopefully you remember from our study and subsequent messages on these subjects that the commandments are divided into two tables. The first of them concentrates on dealing with our relationship with God. That's the first four commandments that begin with, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Then the second table of the law has commands that respect our duty to our fellow man. That begins with our text that we're using today. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. This division is not accidental. It's not a product of overzealous commentators trying to find a novel interpretation of scripture. Jesus himself made this division in Matthew 22 when he was asked a question about the law by one of the Jewish legal experts. We're all familiar with this. In Matthew 22, then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind, This is the first and great commandment, and the second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, when Jesus said this, the lawyer didn't dispute his interpretation. What he heard was just a profound exposition that made it very clear that first we are to honor God, and then secondly, we are to honor our fellow man. And on the surface, that division, as we read it, doesn't seem seem too deep. It doesn't seem overly ambitious. But in fact, it was radical to the Jewish mind to compare God to a human father, as is done in these commandments. To make such a comparison between our father God and a human father and mother is to add extreme weight to the responsibilities of family relationships. The family relationship is modeled after the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And then in Mark chapter 7, uh, in that quotation by Jesus of Exodus 20, Jesus went on to demonstrate how self-righteous scribes and Pharisees disobeyed this commandment by refusing their duty to support their parents. And then a third observation that, cements the critical connection of the first table of the law to the second, is the word honor. Honor thy father and mother. Honor. What does the word honor mean? Well, it really means to add weight to something. We might say to give gravitas that something deserves. In other places of Scripture, the word honor, the Hebrew word for honor, is translated glory. And glory stands at the head of the first table of the law. It's understood that all glory goes to God. And yet we find it here amazingly in the second table that there is a concept that glory also belongs in the proper sphere to father and mother. And this is simply a remarkable connection that shows the esteem that God places upon the family unit. So we need to be aware of this, most aware that we are dealing with important Creational principles, things that honor God in His majesty by dealing with the family. We must understand what the family is. Now, we'll understand this better in a few minutes as we'll see that the family is sacred and that tampering with the family has dire consequences for the entire society. Now, there are two important concepts that I want to stress today. The first is the societal aspect of the fifth commandment to honor father and mother, then secondly is the personal aspect of it. Now let me take you back just a moment to my comments about charges of misogyny that are claimed against Paul and the Bible in general. When we read this commandment, it should nullify that charge simply by the profundity of these five words, honor thy father and mother. Now when honor, that is glory, is attached to both father and mother, then we see equality of importance is evident. And this is a command that could have simply said only this, honor your father. And that perhaps would simplify some of the theological connections between the heavenly father and our earthly father. But on the human side, both father and Mother are considered here, and that would make perfect sense as, as Adam recognized that he and Eve were one. Father and mother are one. She was bone of his bone. Eve was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. They were inseparable. So father and mother in the family unit deserve respect together, the same type of respect in their proper spheres. And so it is a Christian duty for children to respect their parents. And I realize as I preach this to you today that I'm looking over an older congregation. Uh, You've left, most of you have left your childhood home. And likewise, many present for you, your children, have left your home. And you might be gone from your childhood home. But the command to honor our parents does not have an expiration date. In, In the example of Israel... And Israel, they they were representative of God's chosen people. Respect for parents was a lifelong commitment. Jesus told the Pharisees that they nullified the commandment by their traditions. They didn't obey the spirit of the law. And when he said that, he was speaking to people who were adults. People that had already left their parents' homes. Our parents are always our parents. They're aged and they are wise no matter how old you are, they are always older. So there is no expiration to the command. Now, this aspect of the command became more prominent in my thinking and my understanding of it increased just a couple of years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that now, when Radford Wong, our missionary to China, left the mission field to return to the United States. And the reason for his return was the age of his father. His father was becoming more helpless, um, and it was becoming a strain on his mother. She needed help. And so rather than turn his care over to someone else, he believed that it was his responsibility to come home and take care of his father in his old age, just as his parents raised him and took care of him. Radford cited the fifth commandment, as his reason to return. He wanted to obey this command. And then he also quoted from First Timothy 5, verse 8, which says, But if any provide not for his own, and specially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. And his interpretation of those two scriptures, these commands, told him that it was his duty to honor his parents and care for them as a lifelong commitment. And I can tell you that most people don't think this way. Most people don't. And so many old people die lonely because their children will not take responsibility for their care. Now, all of that's introduction, and these comments lead me to my first of two observations about honorable families. The first is the family and social preservation This commandment is the pillar that holds up our social structure. At the head of the second table of the law stands this command that is the beginning of all of our social interactions. Society begins with family just as God began humanity with the family. The first family was a man and his wife. Jesus said at the beginning, God made them male and female. And for all people that came afterwards, the man was to leave his father and his mother and to cleave to his wife. Now, of course, Adam had no father or mother. His wife was his own flesh. And that's the relationship that defined the first family, a man and a woman. And that definition of the family has never changed. God told them to be fruitful and to multiply and to take dominion over the earth. And their family and more family units were set to be the governmental order of society. The home, the relationship between the man and his wife was the order of the dominion. God said, take dominion. And what's the dominion? Well, it's the government over it, which is the man and his wife, the family. And thus the order for the government was set. These are the same principles. It's also the model for our employment, the way it's structured. It's the model, it was the model in Israel for their worship, and eventually it came to be the standard of way, of the way that the church functions. All of these are connected to the family, so we can well say, as families go, as our families go, so goes the world. Now the placement for this commandment at the head of the second table has bearing on these last commandments that you read. We respect others. We don't murder people. Because it destroys respect for our families. That brings disrespect on family. We don't steal from others. Because that would bring disgrace upon our families. We don't lie against people. Because that disgraces our family. We're not greedy. We don't cheat others. Because that disgraces our family. You know I remember when I was, when I was young. Uh, my strongest incentive not to get into trouble, and I was a very good child. My strongest, my strongest incentive not to get into trouble, aside from being saved, knowing the Lord, was this fifth commandment. I did not want to disgrace my father and my mother. Now, as you can see, this is a generational attitude. When this strong generational bond is broken and the family incentive is lost, the results of it reverberate through the entire society. Proverbs says that we're to train our children in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. So the the proverb tells us that if this generation gets proper training, then the next generation will benefit from it. Jesus made that close connection between the first and second tables of the law by calling them the first or calling them the two great commandments. They consist of loving God and loving our fellow man. And if we fail at the with the head of the second table, honor your father and mother, then inevitably we're going to fail in the first. We're not going to love and honor God supremely in the primary command if we can't keep the lesser secondary command. Now, eventually what happens is the family unit is destroyed. All respect for authority breaks down. And we see that happening before our eyes as American families are broken. And if the family unit is not properly defined, if you don't even know what the family unit is, societal chaos and dishonor for God are the results of it. We must not and we cannot define the family according to the sordid modifications of LBGTQ or of BLM. Now, LBGTQ, that's pretty obvious how that destroys the family, but most don't understand how BLM does the same thing. And that is, the BLM is Marxist, and they are against... The nuclear family, they're in favor of destruction of the nuclear family. It's right in their writings. Now, we're in the middle, folks, of the radicalization of family, which has all the ingredients of anarchy and self-destruction. If you decide to live by the the Bible's definition of the nuclear family, you are decidedly counter-cultural. You're in danger of being canceled, of being cast out, of being marginalized, or even considered barbaric. This culture is not interested in preserving the culture that made America great, and and I, I hesitate to use that phrase because I'm not saying that what made America great is what happened just a few years ago. What made America great was when America it started on the path to greatness in 1620 when godly people were determined they would establish a society which in which God's laws ruled. The society was structured on the biblical model. But today that model is mocked. It said, it said, well, that's too puritanical. And its replacement over the next 400 years since then has given us what we've got. Not puritanical, but putridly immorality and decadent behavior. Parents have no rights over their children. There's no honor when the courts have made it possible for children to divorce their parents. Our children are the state's children. They are the village children. They are the court's children. And so people are jailed for refusing sex change operations for three-year-olds and refusing to use their preferred pronouns. All of this is pushed by the courts. It's pushed by social workers. It's pushed by psychologists and the liberal news media. Congress is infiltrated with a woke crowd who are determined to upend every social value that adheres to a godly objective stand, standard. It, it's full rejection of God, and that's what happens when the fifth commandment is disobeyed. Now, the Bible paints the picture of the family. It's a man and a woman and their children. It's mom and dad obeying God and children who obey their parents. There is no hope to respect anyone outside of the family if that closest bond, the closest bond that exists, if that's not at, honorable, there's no hope outside the family. In Luke 6.32, Jesus said, For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. Now, it's natural for us to love those that love us. When we return love to those who love us, that's not That's not especially noteworthy. That's expected. Jesus used that to teach uncommon, sacrificial love is when you love somebody who is your enemy that doesn't love you. I mean, that's what he modeled when he gave his life for sinners. It's noteworthy and commendable when we step beyond natural love to reach out and obey the Lord's command to love our enemies. And if we take that principle and apply it to our discussion today, if the family is broken down so there is no honor and natural love in the family, then what hope is there that anyone would go beyond to love an enemy as we're commanded? Now, if we can't stand in proper relationship in the family, what hope is there to love those that are outside of the family? If natural love fails, what hope of success is there for any love that is harder to express? It just doesn't follow. And so Jesus' reiteration of the second great commandment, that would be impossible for us to do. So we have a society that is nothing other than upset and dissatisfied with everything. They're militant against anything and anyone who's not just like them. There's no love for others. It's self-love that tolerates only one quality. You must agree in all points with me. It's a society that demands tolerance for everyone in agreement. That's not tolerance. That doesn't closely, in any way, match the definition of tolerance. It's 1984. It's the thought police. It's those who, or those uh, who think that men and women can be trapped in the bodies of the opposite sex. That's two plus two equals five. That's what you call an Orwellian society. Not the Bible's promise of the good. And the right kind of families. So the breakdown of God's authority in the first table destroys worship and relationship with God. And the breakdown of parental authority in the second table destroys all human relationships. And this is what we see happening. In the past 60 years, authority has become a bad word. Now, in a sense, it's always been a bad word because we're sinful people. We don't like authority. We never have. This is why you have to teach children uh, to obey. You just can't let them go their own way. You have to, you have to teach them. You have to discipline them. And children have to be taught because human nature hates authority. But we've been able to maintain some authority up until, I would say, about 60 years ago. So when I was a teenager, college campuses erupted in protest and resistance to authority. Leaders were exasperated by it. They didn't know what to do. The home couldn't help because the home had no control. And when teenagers spin out of control, the typical parental response to this is, oh, that's just a phase they're going through. Leave it alone. They'll, it'll play itself out. And so kids are left to go their own way, do their own thing. And here, here's an interesting thing, I, I think. Out of this came a comment from one in, in the royal family in England. Now, the royals aren't too popular these days. And one of them commented, this commented, the thing that impresses me about America is the way that parents obey their children. Oh, that, that comment was made several years ago, and lately we've seen the royals are not immune to the culture either. And so the biggest news among the royals lately is the whining of millionaire kids that they've been mistreated. And Prince Harry rejected the time-honored duty to family and became a royal and despicable brat. And then he married a spoiled American. That's the end of that story. <laughs> when did America begin its decline? I think probably in World War II. World War II, in, in, it's, it's kind of a, a, an anomaly because in one sense it's probably our finest moment. Um, the greatest patriotism that this country has seen happened in World War II, I think. And, and you know, I think about my own father who, who served at that time and, and others who selflessly gave their lives in World War II. But also in World War II, mothers left the home to work in war factories. Now that That's a good thing as far as that goes, but when the war was over, they didn't return home. So 20 years later, when I was about the time I was entering my teenage years, Mothers had left the home and now you have chaos in the home. And and I don't want to simplify this too much by arguing the illegitimacy of someone's cause. I'm just saying, if you take mothers out of the home, it might take a while, but you get what we got. And so, the generation of the 60s wasn't taught respect and honor for family and so they grew up without anything to teach their children. But, what it's like to be perpetually disgruntled. And so here we are. We have a generation that's grown up thro- again throwing bottles and rocks at police. Now remember, Jesus emphasized the negative implications of the command. If you don't honor father and mother, he says, let that person die the death. It means let him surely die. And that's pretty much what we've done with society, haven't we? We've let it die. There's a slow death of the culture. Society is in shambles. So that now, my worst fear for my grandchildren is what the world will be like if Jesus doesn't come soon. Now, let me ask you, do you feel better about Mother's Day 2021 now? Well, here's some good news in the commandment. God gave the commandments to show us how to be like him and how to live like him, and that's the way to a better life. And so in the second part of the command, we're told that obedience will cause us to live long and prosper in the land. Now, I realize that there are many things in the Old Testament, statements that are made, promises that are made, that are peculiar to Israel. The Ten Commandments cover all people for all time, not just Israel. And so I do believe that obedience to the commandments leads to a prosperous life. We live longer, we live better, if we just do what God says. So secondly, I'd like us to look at the family and personal preservation. There is salvation, there is preservation in obedience to the commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. This command has preservation blended into it. Paul wrote, it's the first commandment with a promise... Love is the social issue here. Obedience to various authorities, that's the scope of the commandment. This commandment is far reaching. Obedience to government, obedience to pastors, obedience of employees to their employers, obedience to parents, the scope of the commandment is diverse. What flow, and here's the reason, what flows out of the family flows into every sector of society. The preservation in the command is in the form of prosperity in the land. In other words, it's not only you that benefits from the obedience. All of society benefits from obedience to this command. That's emblematic. It's emblematic in all forms of blessings that, that come from God, that showered by God upon faithfully obedient children. Now, we see it immediately before in the fourth commandment when God promised rest to his children. There's a Sabbath rest, and what he was telling them is when they entered the land, there would be rest from warfare. They inherited the land, and they would have rest. And there is a permanent rest that is inherited by those who are faithful to the commandments. Now, if you would, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Turn there, Moses prepared the people for what they would receive because of obedience. And let's see how he does this in Deuteronomy 6, verses 10 and 11. This is what Moses says to the people. Remember, they're, they're just waiting to go into the promised land. Verse 10, And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. Now what he's talking about here, God would provide for them. They would get cities that they didn't build. They would capture houses and store houses of good that they didn't stock. Wells of water that they didn't dig. That would be waiting for them. Vineyards and olive trees would be ripe with fruits and they never had to plant them. God has miraculous blessings for those who obey. The key to the blessings is the keeping of the commandments. And that comes next in verse 17. Ye shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes which He hath commanded thee. And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may be well with thee. And thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers. And so to realize all the good that God promised, their homes must be repositories of God's word. I'm not sure that we can recover those types of blessings in America. Politicians promise that we can. They say, well, you can live the American dream again. Well, I can tell you how that can happen. The way to it happening is not a secret. It's right here in the current living word of God. It's right in the Bible that can be found in millions of American households. Now, I say it can be found. Most people would really have to look for it, but it's probably there. They probably got a copy somewhere in the house, and if they would just go to it, if our families would just go to it, find it, and obey it, and make it the rule book of the family, things would change. This is what needs to happen. Fathers and mothers must return to teaching their children to honor God and to honor parents. Do away with the immorality of two-male parenting, two-female parenting. That warps the minds of children. Do away with executive orders of the current administration that promote unnatural transgender equality, make sexual deviance disgrace rather than a source of pride put the pieces of the home back together again, male and female parents, and then America will be on the road to recovery. Now, our biggest problem in America is not immigrants at the border. Our biggest problem is not drilling in Alaska. It's not COVID-19. We deal with all those things with policies. Our biggest problem can be dealt with in only one way. Go back to God. Our biggest problem is our morality. Give us truly Christian homes and America will prosper again. Now, let me give you some scriptures that speak of the consequences of disobedience. I don't know that I really need to give you examples because you live it every day. This is what God says about the commandment. Now, if you're still there in Deuteronomy, go just a few pages over to chapter 21. Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse number 18. If you haven't read this scripture before, hold on to your seat. If a man, if a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of his city and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shalt thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. That's tough law, isn't it? Can you imagine Biden putting executive order for that? This is a tough law. How many times would that need to be done for families to correct their ways? Not many, I don't think. Take a stubborn and rebellious son and stone him. Now, who's that speaking of? Well, I'll tell you. Don't get it into your head that Moses is talking about toddlers. Not talking about two and three-year-old, five and six-year-old children that won't obey. He doesn't say take them to the city square and obey. You know something, I know, I I said just a moment ago, most of you are far past this, having little children in the home. But isn't it a disgrace that families can't control two- and three-year-old kids? Don't know what to do with two-, three-year-old kids? Well, we're not talking about those. Now, uh, I'm not sure, do we have any teenagers? Hmm, yeah, Thad. And uh, maybe another two. Thad, Thad, listen to me here. This starts in the teenage years. This is when teenagers are as big as their parents and their parents can't physically impose their will on the child. When those children will not obey, they were taken to the leaders of the people and they were stoned. In other words, they never got out of their teenage years if they dishonored their parents. Parents are just rattled because they can't control teenagers. They do what they want. They go where they want. There's no enforcement against them. They speak to their parents like trash. And parents just can't do anything with them. Well, here, this is Moses' enforcement mechanism. Turn them over to the elders and stone them. Get the wart off of society. Cut it off. Stone them. Now, that is just tough. That's extreme. But it gives you a clue of what held up the social structure in Israel. Why did they do this? Why is this so extreme? It's because they knew that when they let go of good order, they would lose the prosperity of the land. Salvation in Israel would be over because rebellious children that grow up would never obey the Lord. You let them grow up, they won't obey the Lord. And that's the key to longevity according to the command. So the good of society hinged on maintaining order. And so if there are some that are rebellious and rotten, that would spread to others and it would ruin the rest. And so for the good of all, they stoned the ones that wouldn't obey. And this same principle of discipline is taught in the Lord's church. I would ask, did you know that? But you should because we've just been through this. Now we don't stone people in the church, but here's what, here's what the word of God says. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 says, Your glory is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Here's the principle. A little yeast leavens the whole lump, or one apple, bad apple spoils the whole bunch. So here we have a commandment that has tentacles that reaches into all levels of society and relationships. Now, as I looked at Romans, or Deuteronomy, rather, Deuteronomy 21, I thought, my, 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 how language has changed. How it has changed. They shall stone them with stones. So shall thou put evil away from among you. And it says, everybody will hear and fear. That's the object lesson. It's the object lesson. That's the deterrent to others who break the command. But just look at that language. Stone him with stones. Now, today, our children are stoned, but not with stones. Have you met some of the stoners? Have you seen any intelligent ones among them? Does it make you feel really great because these are the ones that you're turning over your, the leadership of this country to? They're the ones who are going to rule our country? Yeah, sure, make America great, let them all blow, blow their minds on marijuana and other drugs. This is really the smart thing to do. Let everybody act like an idiot. Now here's another view from you. It comes from Proverbs 30 verse 17. The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagles shall eat it. Any wonder liberals don't want to read the Bible? Scriptures have their number. Uh, Listen to this quote. The internal mission of the Bible is to transform the nature of humanity. That is why unbelievers know it's a dangerous text. The biblical language is this. You are a fool. You are stupid. You are dumb dogs. Let the birds pick out your eyes, you stupid fools. No wonder they don't like the Bible. Now, I know somebody will say, Aha, but Pastor Smith, you're reading from the Old Testament. Oh, we all know the Old Testament, that stuff we don't pay attention anymore. Don't don't listen to that anymore. Jesus threw all that out. He threw all that stuff out. Come on, man. It's peace, love, and harmony. (laughs) It's live and let live, dude. Is that so? Might we let Jesus comment and speak for himself? There are many that pretend to tell you what Jesus said. They have no idea what Jesus said or taught. Did he have an opinion about Deuteronomy? The answer is yes, he certainly did. Of course he did. I showed that to you at the beginning, how Jesus dealt with negative implications of this command. There is no peace, love, and harmony for the disobedient. Matthew 15, 4 again, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. Did you know that is a direct exposition of Deuteronomy 21? And of Leviticus 20, verse 9, which says, For everyone that curseth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. He hath cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. It exposits Proverbs thirty seventeen and twenty twenty. 20. And that's a fortuitous reference, isn't it? Twenty twenty. Here's what it says. Whoso curseth his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. That's a verse that says, knock the child's lights out. (laughs) 2020 says, let him go blind. Reserve for him the darkness of, blackness of darkness. What is that? Well, that's talking about physical death and also eternal death in hell. That's what Jesus is talking about when he said, let him die the death. Here's something you don't want to do. You don't want to get all mushy about Jesus. Respect him in what he says and the way he says it. Disobey the commandments and he is in favor of eternal destruction. Is that enough to show you there's salvation in the commandment? Obey and live. Disobey and die. That's what Jesus said. Now here's the thrust then of this teaching. Obey your parents and be rewarded. Disobedience has its own reward. The reward of death. The reward of obedience is a long life, prosperous life, happiness in the land. Make a mistake with this and compound that mistake over many families and the land is lost. Obedience pleases God. And when God is pleased, he showers his blessings everywhere. Preserve the home and you will preserve the country. Now this preservation... Included in the command is that last part, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Isn't it strange? There are great commandments that came before this one. Great commandments. And yet this is the first one that comes with a promise. The promise for obedience is clearly stated. Could we use more of it? Well, another quote. We're just about done. One of the primary reasons Judaism has survived across the years is precisely its family structure. The Jews survived the Holocaust and thousands of years of antisemitism because the Jewish family had a sense of identity and a sense of order. Does it matter where the family is on the Sabbath? When the Sabbath comes, they stop and pray. It didn't matter what Hitler and all the powers of Nazism said. When Passover came, it was time to tell the story even if the family was gathered in a concentration camp and there were no candles to light. There was sense of order and identity that gave them roots and strength and perspective and discipline. At the heart of that family structure was reverence for parents, a high regard, a respect and esteem for the older members of the family. The elderly were honored and cared for. Jesus supported the fifth commandment. And he supported the consequences for disobeying it. He is God. And he knows what happens because of disobedience. Did Jesus need a psychological survey of thousands of families to know that homes that are filled with strife and division lead to stressed out people that quickly go to their graves? Didn't he know that a home with love and peace and harmony, a home where people are emotionally stable, less stressed, that that tends towards long life? Well, he's the creator God. None of this is news to him. He made man. He knows what is in man. He knows what will help you, and he knows what will cause irreparable harm. We must have honorable families, families with respect and obedience, and that will cause us not to fear for our grandchildren. And why won't it? Because God has a commandment with a promise for the family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time spent together in your word. Much of what we have to say is difficult, but it's only difficult because we refuse to accept it. It's only difficult because in our human nature, we don't like what the word of God says. To understand it and for it to be helpful to us. And to know how that things can change, we must know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Only He can put it into our hearts, the obedience to the commandments. And we know this, Lord, that we are not perfect in obedience, no matter what happens. That Jesus Christ must be our perfect obedience. And that's what faith in Him as our Savior does. It provides for us the perfect obedience to the commandments in the eyes of God. Lord, help us that we might read and study your word, apply your word, and Lord, that we would return to families that honor you in everything that we do. Bless our people today. We thank you for our mothers and our other ladies. Perhaps we didn't speak so much to them specifically, but Lord, we can't do without them. We just thank you for homes where children have been raised in the right way. and They are the future of our church. They're the future of our society. Our lives will be long and we will prosper if we just listen to what you tell us to do. Thank you, Father, for all these things. We give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.